I come out of agreement with the lie that you have left me on my own. I am not alone. I come out of agreement with the worry and the fear I've come to know. No, they won't have a hold on me.
it's living on the inside The breath that's living on the inside Legacy Church. Um, today is the first Sunday in July. And uh, with that, for the month of July, we wanted to bring in some different guests uh, of Legacy Church, some people who are members, some who are kind of sister churches and everything. And so today for the 4th of July, um, we had a special guest that we really wanted to bring in. Uh, his name is Drew Anderson, and he pastors Sumter Chapel in Americus, Georgia. But he wrote a book called No Longer Self-Evidence, um, are we more American than Christian? And we really thought that um, just kind of talking through American culture and Christian culture and kind of seeing where some of the overlaps and the rubs are might be beneficial as we take this weekend to celebrate freedom and to celebrate our national heritage. Um, and so, uh, Pastor Drew, thank you for coming on here and being with us. Um, would you start uh, just by kind of talking about the story that brought you to that question of, are we more American than Christian? Yeah, of course. Uh, it's so great to be with y'all. And on my end, our uh, people, the, the congregation of Sumter Chapel will also be engaging in this and we're, we're sharing them, That's sharing awesome. it with them. And we're excited that they'll also be uh, joining in as this time, their time of worship for this Sunday as well. So uh, the, this book, and it really was a blog series first, and before that it was just a question that lingered with me, came out of uh, a relationship I had with a mentor in college. He was uh, a pastor in college, and I was a part of some of the leadership team of the ministry that was there, and he asked us the question, do we look more American than Christian? He just kind of posited it to our our leadership team and asked us what at face value seems like a very simple question. And at face value seems like it'd be an easy answer. Like, of mm -hmm. course I look more Christian than American. Like, of course I do. Uh, and yet this, this question that was asked of me more than 15 years ago, uh, could, I just could never shake it. And so as I graduated college and moved into full-time ministry and then went to seminary and then back into full-time ministry and worked in a coffee shop and in an admissions office and lived my life and got married and started having kids. And we're now here pastoring a church in America's Georgia. All along the way, this question followed me. I just, I could not shake it. Do I look American, more American, or do I look more Christian? Like, are, are these things directly opposed to one another? And I don't, the answer is no, they're not directly opposed, but are those things directly connected? And the answer is also no. You know, I can look very American and not look Christian at all. Mm -hmm. And, and so it just stuck with me. It was something that was that, that nagged at me in a good way. It, it constantly caused me to evaluate my own life. As I, as I got into church leadership, it caused me to evaluate the church. Like, what are we doing as a church? Who are we as the church? And, and are we looking like Christ? Are we looking Christian or do we just look like our culture and we're just kind of a more moral version of it? Or mm -hmm. we're just, you know, we're pretty much like our culture, but we show up to a building on Sunday and worship Jesus and talk about Jesus a lot. But we, we throughout the week, we basically look like our culture. Like that, I began to just struggle with that so much. And, and as I, I was wrestling with it, as I went into last year, um, I really felt the Lord asking me to begin to flesh it out, my journey with this question, into a blog series for uh, for our people, for our church, for Lent. And so I began blogging on it in February, right? And if we think back, that that was pre-pandemic. It was uh -huh. pre pre the whole world shutting down, right? And and so I began to blog about it in this series. And a friend of mine 
it's on, it was on a shared blog that a friend of mine runs. And as we got a couple weeks into the series, he was like, Drew, this is, this is good stuff. Like, I think you need to share this more, more broadly. I think you should turn this into a book. And, and I kind of quipped, I don't have time. Like, <laughs> life is busy. Ministry's busy. You know, I don't, I don't have time. I'm barely getting these blogs written. So like, I don't, I don't know when I would ever do that. And, and then the pandemic hit. In, in the middle of Lent, the pandemic hits. I had already finished the blog series. It was done. And it was as if God said, you got the time. Um, and so that's when I started working on it and to make it a book. And, and it released last year, this time, it actually released July 1st, right? Right before July 4th last year, because I wanted to start this broader conversation even beyond just our people. Mm-hmm. Hey, are, are we more American than Christian, actually? Is it, mm-hmm. is it really all that self-evident anymore that we are Christian when the world looks at us? Or are they questioning, hey, are, are y'all actually living up to what your, your Jesus says? Or do, are you just kind of an American version, an Americanized version of some sort of Christianity? Yeah. So I've lived with it for a little while as a question. And then in this last year, I've really fleshed it out and had conversations around some of the lessons I learned through my life Mm -hmm. by asking the question. That's um, over the, like really with the past year, I think what Holy Spirit was giving you with these, this question and kind of bringing all of this about, I think it's really at a time where we've been primed for it because really I feel like coming into the pandemic, we started the church at large started asking the question of, okay, what is it that's necessary? Like where, what is, what is the critical points of what we do as a church and what is all the act, like extra add-ons that we've kind of brought in and thought that they were core. But I feel like it was kind of the start of a stripping away. And now that we're kind of coming out of the pandemic, I don't want to leave that thought because I don't want to, we don't want to go back to what was. We want to find, we don't want to just find a new normal. We want to continue in digging down and finding our core because unless we're we're working with that core, we're we're the banging symbol. And um, so, with those questions, um, one of the statements that really challenged me, um, as far as like um, just kind of challenging my own even church culture. Um, as far as our American culture is, uh, what does American success look like and what, how has that kind of um, changed the way that we live as believers or at least changed our lens? Um, would you mind talk, talking about that and just kind of breaking down like success in American culture and how that's translated into the church? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we all grow up American uh, we can't help it. Well, those of us who lived in this country, we, you know, when we were born here, we grew up in America and we couldn't help it. We end up, you know, swimming in the water, so to say. And we, so we just end up, we end up believing things or taking on beliefs or starting to, to follow ideologies that we don't necessarily know are Christian, right? We, we have to, we have to evaluate them against what Jesus taught, how he lived, the scriptures, and, and some of these things we've learned around success, like what defines success in our country, what the American version of success is, doesn't, doesn't really line up with Scripture. And, and we struggle with that sometimes, but we, we start to learn things that our culture defines as success, and then, we, and then we bring them into the church. Like we start to apply them to God and to his people, even though he may not have held those things up as saying, this is what success looks like. Uh, so in our culture, one of those things is like, everything is supposed to go up and to the right, right? Everything's supposed to grow. Everything healthy grows. Everything successful grows, right? And by growth, we mean usually not like internal, you know, the hard work of personal growth. We usually mean like numeric growth, right? Numbers of people, num- amount of money, all that sort of thing. And the problem with that is if you've ever tried to take care of a yard and have a perfect yard, or if you've ever grown a garden, you know, weeds also grow and they actually grow really fast, usually faster than the healthy grass, <laughs> funny enough. <laughs> so, or the plant that's trying to produce, you know, fruit. And so we know unhealthy things grow too. And, and so that's not good. Like that's, 
that's not good. We have to wrestle with that. Wait a minute. Is growth always good? Could it be unhealthy growth? But then also from the Bible, we learn growth is actually God's job. Like growth is what God does. Paul shares it with the Corinthians where he talks about, you know, he watered Apollos or he planted Apollos watered, but it's God who brings the growth. Well, it's same, same is true in our lives. Like we can, we can plant well, we can water well, we can even plan to harvest well, but we can't bring the growth. And when growth comes or it doesn't come, that's God's, right? That's God's. And we are grateful and, and we celebrate what God does in people's lives and what God does in our church and country. But we can't do those things. And so even by trying to measure growth, we can find ourselves holding ourselves to standards that are not ours, measuring things that are not ours to measure, right? And that's hard for us to hear because a lot of the times we've been very formed to believe that's what success is and those are the things we should be measuring. And yet we know that we know that not always things grow in the way we think they should grow externally. Sometimes internal growth is happening. We know this just from the season of winter. It happens every year. Winter comes and there's work happening. There is stuff going on below the surface, right? We don't see any of it. It's not, flowers aren't being produced, fruits not being produced, and yet we know things are happening. Growth is happening. It's just not happening in the external ways that we could measure all the time. Mm -hmm. And and so that's true in our own lives. And scripture talks about this being a truth, but we can find ourselves wanting to classify everything by the American version of success, not always necessarily a, a, a scriptural version of success. And one example I like to use because of the area we're in, we have a lot of pecan farms and we have a, a lot of orchards. And, and the pecan farmers know if they've got to plant a tree at a young age that isn't going to start producing pecans for a long time. Like they've got a plan for the fruit of their labor, the pecans coming for years ahead of time before they're ever going to see it. And so they have to plant the tree and water the tree and care for the tree and do all these things to prepare themselves for what God may do. But you know what they can't control? If a tornado comes through and wipes all those new trees out or the, the, if a faint, what if a drought actually came, a true drought for years on end and killed all the trees? They can't control for the things that only God can control, right? They can do their job, but they can't sit back and get frustrated because they planted a tree today and it's not going to produce <laughs> nuts for years, right? If they get frustrated about that, what good is it going to do? Because it's not their job. That's not their job. That's God's job. And too many times we've shortchanged what God, the work God wants to do because we've measured it up against the success of what our country calls success, what America calls success. And we've even shortchanged ourselves. We, we start to treat ourselves like failures because we've defined success in a way that's really American and doesn't translate well, you know, very, very many other places. And, uh, and that can be dangerous for us can be dangerous for the church too, right? It can be dangerous for the church. So if the way that we've looked at success isn't isn't necessarily beneficial, then do you have a personal definition of success that you use or um or is there even a definition of success that's worthwhile at looking at? Yeah. Yeah, I think um I think the greatest definition of success um, for us as believers is faithfulness in our personal relationship with God, with others. That as we are faithful, right, to be stewards of this relationship that God has offered to us through a gift, right, that he gave us. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything to get it. We just opened it. It was a gift he gave us of his son, Jesus, then of his Holy Spirit, as we've come into a relationship with him. And if we can be faithful in that, to be sons and daughters of God, to know that we are loved, to, to embrace the way he's made us, even the, the limits he's given us that are good, uh, 
the giftedness he's given us, the, the people he's entrusted us with. That's a huge part of it is that we don't, we can't do this on our own. We can't be faithful to God on our own. It's something we do together as God's people, mm-hmm. right? We, we encourage one another. We challenge one another. We pick each other up when we're down. We, we need other believers to confess sin to, right? The priesthood of all believers. Like we need people who we can confess to and they can pray for us and we can be healed. Um, we, we need people in our lives. And, and so success looks like faithfulness. And that I've been in enough, you know, business church leadership meetings in my life to know that some people feel like that's a cop-out, right? That that's somehow a cop-out. But the irony is Jesus tells a parable about good stewards and those good stewards brought salt increase, right? They invested the talents that God had given them well and they saw increase. And, and, and God's critique of the one who didn't invest was not that he didn't make anything off the talent. It's that he didn't invest it, right? Mm-hmm. The faithfulness part was the critique. Mm-hmm. And because he didn't invest it, he couldn't have made anything off of it. God wasn't praising the other two for what they made off of it, right? They doubled the investment, but he doesn't praise them for the doubling. He praises them for their faithfulness mm-hmm. to invest it, to trust him. And and that's, at the end of the day, where we've got to find our success is in this, this faithfulness, faithfulness to God as sons and daughters and faithfulness to God together with mm-hmm. the other sons and daughters. And as we, as we do that well, and we see a beautiful picture of it in Acts and in the New Testament. It's not always perfect, right? The picture is not perfect at all. Just read the letters to the Corinthians, both of them. Um, you know, they, they've got just as many problems as we do mm-hmm. when we read about the early church. And yet it's beautiful. The beautiful thing God does, this beautiful work he does in their life where they begin to sacrificially just love love God and love others and give of themselves and they become faithful stewards of their lives to the world for the sake of the gospel. It's an incredible thing to read about. And that's really our definition of success as believers, right? Mm -hmm. How how do we become Jesus together individually, but then together, how do we become Jesus to the world, the body of Christ in the world? That's really good. Um, so with that, because um, you talked about how do we become Jesus together, um, in that together aspect, you kind of, um, in the book, you talk about the bands of brothers um, and kind of discipleship in that context and stuff. Would you break that down um, for those that are watching and just kind of explain um, what that looks like, uh, both in theory and like practically what that can look like? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm I, I kind of posit the the um, position in the book of saying maybe smaller is better, maybe bigger is not better. Actually, at the end of the day, I don't think either is better. But I I'm just trying to present the opposite of saying the yeah. small things are important. I think the chapter's yeah. name is actually small things matter. Small things matter. Um, and and it's because in the small things there 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 is growth that happens in the small things that can never happen in the big things. It just can't. It's it's impossible for it to happen in the big things. So there's growth that happens in the big things. But if we ignore the small things, um, the more private areas of our life, the closer relationships in our life, all these kind of things, we're not going to grow into Christ-likeness in a complete fashion because we're going to miss out on those areas of growth. And and so these bands, uh, the word... Bands really comes from the early um, Methodist movement. John Wesley and his brother, they want to seek renewal of the church during their day, right? This was hundreds of years ago. Mm-hmm. And they knew there had to be more that the church was missing out on, more of more of God, more of relationship with one another. And they formed this group that they initially called a holy club, which most of us would like, sh- we'd be like, shaking about like, ah, that seems a little stodgy or judgmental or, you know, holier than that. But they meant it as like, hey, we're going to really run after God here. Like we're going to really believe God wants us to be holy like he is holy. 
And we're going to see what he does with the power of his Holy Spirit in our lives. And those be- that group that they formed with a couple other people became the model for what they would call bands in their movement. And this was a great movement. I mean, the Methodist movement was a revivalist movement that stretched across the world. I mean, it, the impact of the Holy Spirit through this movement was much like the impact of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, very similar. And they had these, these bands, and they were groups of, you know, like five to eight, so small, small groups, and they would ask very, very, like, seeking, searching, deep-down questions, like, how is your soul? And they would say, do you have any, do you have any secrets that you're not sharing with anyone else and you're trying to even hide them from God, but you need, you need to share them. Do you, do you have, what sins are you holding on to and are you, you know, not dealing with in your own life? How, how can you, you know, confess to us where it is, you know, you need to be healed and, and strengthened and grow? And how can we support you in that? And, and that it really became this banding together. And of course, in the American culture, we we have a movie uh, around you know military language, and it talks about band of brothers, right? And and it's not just a movie, but there's this language around band of brothers, and it's the same kind of idea: these brothers or these sisters, right? This this small group of people that are, we're in this together, like we're in the trenches together. We're gonna we're gonna go to battle for one another because we know this is a spiritual war in our lives. Um, and, and so we're going to be in this together. We're going to, we're going to fight these battles together. And, and of course the Holy Spirit's going to be the one fighting it for us. We're, we're just going to be aligning ourselves with what he's at work doing. And, but it, it becomes for me, as we talk about the smaller things that God wants to do, these smaller groups of people, they become for me, the essential unit of like the church, like the most essential unit of the church are these smaller things at the end of the day, right? And we see it in Acts that, that the smaller units were the most essential unit of the church. Everything else that happened in larger groups was still important, but where a lot of the core work was happening in the early church and then again in the Methodist movement where the Holy Spirit was present and in other awakening and revival movements, it's all been the same. Across every one of them, the work of the Holy Spirit has been consistent. That there is certain work that God does in these smaller groups that can only be done there. Certain fruit that's only produced in these settings where we're able to really peel back the layers of who we are, to get really honest with ourselves and with others, and to allow the Holy Spirit, you know, to grow us. Mm -hmm. That's I love that thought of that. There's only, there's fruit that can only be found in that um, kind of cultivated biome of intimate relationship and discipleship. Yeah, um, I think that's really great. Um, do you have any like any la- like final thoughts that you want to share? Um, anything that you'd like said that hasn't been said? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would just close with like I I I love the church, the bride of Christ, with all my heart. Like, God has given me a love for this imperfect group of people that exist in some form or fashion all over the world. And he's just, he's placed it within me. Many of us have this love for the church. And it's just a deep love. Nothing in me is raging against the machine or (laughs) I have no desire for some sort of like, let's tear it all down. Like, that's, that's not where any of this is coming from. It's, it's mm-hmm. always come from a place of deep desire to see myself live into who God has me to be and deep desire to see God's people live into who he has them to be. And, and so as I wrote this, wrote this blog series and it turned into a book, as I've wrestled with this question in my own life, it's not it's not ever come from a place of judgment or holier than thou or let I have all the answers, let me fix it. That's why I set the book up the way I did is I don't give really a lot of answers. I ask a lot of questions and I encourage people to do a lot of searching because that's been my story and still is my story. That, mm-hmm. that what God is doing in me is stripping back the things that are, that are of me, stripping back the things that are of this culture that has shaped me, these 
these earthly temporary things, right? And it's like he's peeling back all this stuff so that he can get me down to the core of who he's making me to be. And if he can do that, if he can strip back the false self I want to present or, you know, best case scenarios I want to give or like I'm going to paint rose, rose colored. I'm going to look through the, the world with rose colored lenses or paint the prettiest pictures that people think I'm you know, successful or whatever. If he can strip all that away from me, then he can really get to who I am, really begin to transform me. And then he can really build me up. And, and produce the fruits of the Spirit that He longs to produce in me, right? I don't want to be the soil where the seed of the gospel is being choked out, mm-hmm. right? I think most of us that have given ourselves to the church, we're not hard soil. We're not that soil. We're not the soil where it springs up and then dies. But I think we can find ourselves being the soil where there's a lot of thorns mm-hmm. and things choking out the work of the gospel in our life. We've allowed these things to exist alongside the gospel. But the problem is, is what they end up doing is they, they choke out the work of God. And, mm-hmm. and I don't want that, right? I want the Holy Spirit and God to be able to prune back to, to get rid of the things that are inhibiting what he has for me and for his people. And so that that's what the desire of this book really comes out of. I, I think God is at work. And I think the pandemic and COVID almost brought clarity to the work Mm -hmm. that God is doing and has been doing in his people in America, but all over the world to bring clarity, to give us eyes to see, you know, pastors joked going into 2020, we'd have 2020 vision. Uh (laughs) And and I think actually God was doing it, but not in the way that many people expected him to do it. I think he is at work doing it. He's giving us the eyes to see like, oh my goodness, this thing that I've been running hard after and chasing hard after isn't actually of God. It's not inherently sinful, right? Like it's not something the Bible tells me not to do, but it's also not who God is calling me to be. I'm chasing after something that's just temporary, that's earthly. It's going to go away. It's not going to produce the eternal results I want. And so that's the wrestling I'm doing right now is, okay, God, what does it look like for us to just simply be faithful to, to become the people individually and together as your family, as your body, to become the people that you long for us to be, that you've always desired us to be and work through all of the mess that it takes to do that, you know, work through all the mess that we bring to the table as humans so that you can use that as fertilizer for the seed of the gospel in our life to produce this beautiful community of believers that that the world looks at and is just in awe of because they're like, those people, they couldn't have done that. Like only God could have done that. Only he could have brought them together and allowed them to love one another. Only he could have caused them to say, I'm going to sell this stuff that the world thinks is important and I'm going to give that money to those who are in need. Only God could start to do those kind of works in people's lives and and could be that present in their life. And so that's that's the desire here. Like I got I want more I want you and you alone. That's so good. Um would you pray for us as we close out? Yeah, for sure. Let's pray and thank God and invite God to be with us. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we are just in awe and humbled by the work that you're doing in our lives. We, we're humbled by the very fact that you would even come and meet with us, that you would even come and, and be within us. You're not just God with us anymore. You're God within us. Like you, you have put on flesh by putting your Holy Spirit in us individually and together. And it's just so humble. It's just so incredible how you do that and how you forgive us and are gracious to us and you call us loved and, and, and are willing to know us in and out, even our messes that we create and love us just the same. And we, we pray, we earnestly pray that you, you 
would become all that we desire, that you would satisfy us above everything else, and that you would strip away all the Americanness and all, all of the selfishness that we bring to the table, that you, you would make us and remake us constantly into the image of Jesus Christ, into Christ-like people, that we might become uh, the body of Christ, the flesh and bones, that, that, that people, when they see us, not just individually, but together, us as the church, when they see us loving one another and giving ourselves to one another, that they would see you because that's you at work in our lives. We thank you. We thank you for this this time. We get to focus on you and rest and Sabbath and worship and, and pray and direct our attention to you and remind ourselves that it's you who produces all good things. We thank you, and we ask that as we go through the rest of this day, and as we go through this celebration season around July 4th, that we would find our freedom, not in anything of this world, but only in you and you alone, that we would be set free. We thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray all things. Amen. 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 Um, for those that want to stay connected to you online, and um, how to, how can they find you? Yeah. Okay. So you, you could go. I, I did set up a website because of the book, drewanderson.blog. So drewanderson.blog, it has the website with the book. It also has a link to the blogs that I continue to post through my friend's own site. But you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and it's all the same thing on each of them. And it's our family names. So Drew, Sarah, Cam, Jax. That's my wife and our two boys. Drew, Sarah, Cam, Jax. It's spelled D-R-E-W-S-A-R-A-H-C-A-M-J-A-X. So Drew, Sarah, Cam, Jax. Um, and if you can't find me, I'm sure Josiah and Chad and anyone else can uh, point you my way. And, um, and I'd love to connect with you. Yeah, reach out. This book was not written to be like this manuscript of like here, <laughs> here's all the answers. It really is meant as a conversation piece. And I've had some really good interactions about it. So I'd love to hear from anyone if they have um, some thoughts, some questions, some pushback, all of it. Um, I welcome it all. That's awesome. Well, thank you for joining us and yeah. for uh, doing this call and talking. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, so yeah. Thanks for being a part. Thank you for having me, and I appreciate it. We love you guys.